Good morning, everybody. It is great to have you with us today, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. I am glad that you joined us. And today is kind of a milestone because after almost two months, we've reached the end of this series called Asking for a Friend. And for those of you who have been with us, it's been an interesting journey, hasn't it? Uh, we've dealt with some tough questions. Uh, we talked about some controversial topics. Uh, but even though we haven't got it all figured out, we have found truth. And we find that by seeking God, by looking to His Word. We've actually gotten a lot of feedback about this series. And some of it has been surprising. A couple weeks ago, a man came up to me. I'd never met him before. And he said, hey, I, I'm really enjoying the series that you guys are doing now. This person was not from Plum Creek. He's been watching online, and he actually submitted a question. So that was fun. As we wrap things up today, I want to apologize again if I didn't get to your question. I'm trying to cover as many as I can this morning. And like last week, all of today's questions line up with a common theme. This morning, we're talking about the end times and the afterlife. A few days ago, uh, somebody said, it's ironic that we're covering this topic on Halloween. And I wish I could say that was intentional, uh, but the truth is it just happened that way. So you won't hear me talk about zombies or ghosts or anything like that here today. Uh, but we are talking about some things that may be intense or scary or maybe just fascinating. In my lifetime, I've had all three of those reactions. When I was a kid growing up in church, I sometimes got bored during the sermon, which I know never happens to any of you. Uh, but when I was bored, I would sometimes flip to the end of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, and I would read about wars and plagues and dragons and the moon turning into blood and people being thrown into a lake of fire. And I was sitting there in the pew fascinated, but I was also a little freaked out. And I, I'll be honest, when it comes to the end times and the afterlife, some of this may seem scary, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. If you belong to Christ, the end of this life and the end of this world is the best thing that could happen. So let's look at a few questions and get to some good news. We'll start with two questions that are related. Number one, how are the things we're seeing and hearing in the world today leading us through the end times and the return of Jesus? And here's number two. So much of the Bible is focused on end time prophecy. Why are so many churches silent on this important issue? Now these are valid questions. Um, we're living through a crazy time. And so it makes sense that some people are wondering if the end is near. It also makes sense that people want to know what the Bible has to say on this. And I'll be the first to admit, we probably should spend more time looking at Bible prophecy. Um, there is a ton of prophecy in Scripture, and there's great value in studying it. For example, in the Old Testament, there are hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah that was to come. And Jesus fulfilled every one of those prophecies. 
Now, there are also hundreds of prophecies in the Bible about the second coming of Jesus. They're in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And here's the thing. If that first set of prophecies came true, it's reasonable to believe in the predictions about the second coming of Jesus. But instead of just talking about this, let's jump in and hear what God's Word has to say. And I'll start with one verse in the book of Revelation. Uh, Jesus is talking here, and he says, Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Now, that's a great promise, and it's coming from Jesus himself. But right away, I have a question um, here in Revelation 22:7, Jesus says, I am coming soon. But what does he mean by the word soon? The meaning of that word is kind of relative, isn't it? I mean, if you say, I'm getting married soon, you could be talking months, right? But if you say, I need to do the laundry soon, you better not be talking about months. If so, your clothes are going to stink. So back here in Revelation 22:7, can we get a, a more specific idea of what Jesus means when he says soon? Or is there more information in other parts of the Bible? The short answer is yes, but we do have to be careful. And I'll tell you why. For hundreds and hundreds of years, modern-day prophets have tried to get specific about the return of Jesus. For example, Back in the 1840s, a preacher named William Miller thought he cracked the code. Uh, he zeroed in on one verse in the book of Daniel, and he calculated that Jesus would appear somewhere between March 1843 and March 1844. And apparently, he was very convincing because hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Christians in America believed him. They bought into this theory. Some of them quit their jobs. Some of them gave away everything they owned. But you know what happened, right? March 1844 came and went, and thousands of people were disappointed and disillusioned. And that scenario has played out again and again. When I was young, a retired NASA engineer named Edgar Wisenant wrote a book that caused a big ruckus. The book was called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. And a lot of people bought into this one, too. Now, of course, the rapture was not in 1988, but that didn't stop the author from writing several sequels. He, he had a new prediction for 1989. Then he had another one for 1993, and finally one for 1994. And the amazing thing is, People kept buying this guy's books. Now, I'll mention one last modern-day prophet, and this one was a musician, a guy named Prince. Some of you know these lyrics. 2000 party over, oops, out of time. So tonight, I'm going to party like it's 1999. Some of you are singing that in your head. But 2000 Y2K. Um, you might remember the craziness before the year 2000. People were saying that computers all over the world would crash precisely at midnight on January 1st. 
and some Christians thought this might just be the apocalypse. But when Y2K rolled around, I think uh, there ended up being just one guy up in Milwaukee who had a computer that crashed. It just wasn't a big deal. But do you see why we need to be cautious when it comes to specific predictions about the end times? Look at the track record. How many times have modern-day prophets predicted the end of the world? The answer is more than we can count. And how many times have these prophets been correct? None. (laughs) Zero. We're still here. So back to that question that somebody sent us. Why don't more churches focus on biblical prophecy? Well, I'd say this is part of the reason. Uh, We've seen too many preachers and teachers and churches that have mishandled Bible prophecy. They've been irresponsible, and that hurts the credibility of Christianity. And the rest of us don't want to make the same mistake. But the truth is, that's no excuse to avoid Bible prophecy. God put these passages in here for a reason. But I'll give you one more theory about why churches may hesitate here. This topic is very controversial. A lot of different opinions and interpretations out there. And when you start talking about the rapture or the tribulation or the Antichrist, many solid Bible teachers disagree with each other. I have uh, many friends who I greatly respect, but we're not on the same page when it comes to Bible prophecy. And that's okay, because many of these issues are matters of opinion. We can disagree about the details, but we do need to agree about the big picture. So let's look at that big picture. 2 Peter chapter 3 puts a lot of things into focus. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn there. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, and we'll start with verse 3. And if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along up on the screen. So Peter is writing to Christians here, and he says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So Peter called it. He said, don't be surprised when people get cynical. They'll be like, oh, Jesus is coming soon, huh? Yeah, I've heard that all my life. And I think if he was coming, he would have arrived before now. We definitely have people like that today. But later in this chapter, People explains, Peter explains something that all of us need to understand. Down in verse 8, he says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. Now, we're getting into some deep territory here. First, verse 8 tells us that God's relationship with time is different than ours. And that should come as no surprise because when God created the universe, he also created time. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, we see that God was already working on a plan to save us before time began. That's the phrase, before time began. 
And I don't want to dwell on this, but that is a mind-bending thought. What would it be like to live outside of time? We can't even imagine that because we've always been stuck in time. But all that to say, from God's point of view, from the perspective of eternity, a period of time that may seem long to us is actually short. You could even say soon. Another thing we see in this passage is that God does not want to rush things. He's being patient because he loves every person everywhere. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants every nation on earth to hear the good news of the gospel so that all people will have the opportunity to escape death and hell through a life-changing relationship with Jesus. For God It's worth it to be patient. So, I guess that means we can all just sit back and relax, right? This old world has been spinning for a long time and it's probably going to keep going, right? Well, not so fast. We need to read the next verse in 2 Peter 3. Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. When Jesus comes, many people will be caught completely off guard. If a thief is coming to rob you, he's not going to call ahead of time. He's not going to leave a a post-it note on your front door. Like, hey, uh, I'm coming back around 1 a.m., and if you could just leave the place unlocked and gather your jewelry and valuables and leave them just inside the door, it's going to be much easier for both of us. No, a thief comes when you do not expect him. So does that mean we're all just clueless about whether or not we're living in the end times? Well, I wouldn't say that. There are many Bible prophecies that tell us what to expect when the end is getting close. You could look at passages like Matthew 24, where Jesus gives us several signs to watch for. He said, we can expect to see wars and rumors of wars. We'll see extreme levels of wickedness. Followers of Jesus will be persecuted more than ever before. And Satan will be unusually active He'll be spreading lies, deceiving many people. Obviously, we see many of those things today. And it's fine if you want to get out your charts and read the news, looking for signs that the end is almost here. Just make sure you write in pencil. We don't want any more people getting disillusioned about the second coming of Jesus or or about Christianity in general. At the end of the day, I think many of these Bible prophecies are intentionally vague, deliberately ambiguous, because we need to focus on what's most important. The bottom line is that Jesus is coming back, and we need to be ready. Some people get caught up in the controversy. When will the rapture happen? Will it be before the tribulation or after? And what about the millennium? The time when Jesus will reign on earth for a thousand years. Is that literal or is it figurative? And is it before the second coming or after? Now, don't get me wrong. It's great to study these things. But don't forget the most important thing. 
A preacher named Gene Apple explained it this way. He said, imagine that you were on the Titanic and there was only one lifeboat available. Would it matter to you when you board that lifeboat? Would, would you care if you get on the lifeboat before the Titanic reaches the iceberg or just as it hits the iceberg or while the ship is sinking? You wouldn't care about the timing, would you? The only thing that matters is that you are on that lifeboat. So I got to ask you, are you on the lifeboat with Jesus right now? The Bible tells us over and over again that Jesus is coming back. It's all over the Bible. At the Last Supper, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come back and take you to be with me so that you can be where I am. And then on the day when Jesus ascended into heaven, the angel said, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, we eagerly wait the return of our Savior, Jesus. James said, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. And then in Revelation 22, Jesus says, I am coming soon. And the Apostle John comes right back and he says, amen, come Lord Jesus. So yeah, it's a consistent message all over the Bible. Jesus is coming back. And, and this is not figurative language. This will be a literal, history-defining event. It's going to happen on a specific day, in a specific month, in a specific year. And we need to be ready because none of us know when that day will be. Over in Mark chapter 13, Jesus said even he didn't know the exact time. He said, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. So be ready. But then how can you be 100% sure that you are ready? That's the million-dollar question, isn't it? And there's a simple answer. Uh, we talk about this all the time. There's only one way for us to get to God, and that's through Jesus. And if you've given your life to Jesus, you're ready. If you've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, you can be completely confident that you will spend eternity in heaven. At the same time, though, many of us would like some additional information about the afterlife. And I get that. That takes us to another question that was submitted. Someone said, there are thousands of near-death experiences on YouTube recorded from people all over the world that tell of similar experiences in heaven. Does the church discount these firsthand accounts? Now, I'm not sure I've addressed this particular issue in a sermon before, but it's an interesting question. I hear stories about near-death experiences on a regular basis. Uh, just this week, I heard about a woman who was lying in a hospital bed up in ICU. Uh, she was dying, and she was in and out of consciousness. But during one of those times when she was awake, she said that Jesus appeared at the foot of her bed. She said Jesus didn't say anything. He just comforted her. And she said that vision 
made her so excited to see him again. And that's pretty cool, isn't it? I also heard about a man who was in that same hospital. He was actually in the same ICU. And he got to the point where he was very close to death. But he woke up long enough to describe an out-of-body experience. He uh, found himself in eternity, standing before three people, which sounds to me like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And they told this man, you are not welcome here. Naturally, the man was terrified by those words. But by God's grace, he recovered. And after that, he, he was spiritually transformed. Now, was that experience real or was it just a dream? I don't know. But either way, God used it as a wake-up call. And that brings us back to the original question. Should we accept these stories as true? Does the Bible tell us these things actually happen? Well, it's interesting. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul talks about an experience where he was taken up to a place that he calls the third heaven. And Paul said that while he was there, he heard inexpressible things, things that no one is able to tell. He also said he wasn't sure whether this was inside the body or outside the body. Either way, he was grateful for it. So there is a biblical precedent for this kind of thing, but I would also say this. Don't expect near-death experiences to give you reliable information about heaven or hell or the afterlife. Instead, look to Scripture. So what does Scripture tell us about death? Well, the normal pattern uh, looks like this. Here's what we see in the Bible. Five seconds after you die, you will be wide awake. You will also be full of enormous gratitude or enormous regret. And you will know without a doubt that Jesus is the only hope for eternal life. And whether you've accepted Christ or not, after your physical body dies, your soul continues on. And based on several different passages, it seems that right after death, uh, your soul enters kind of an intermediate stage. It's a stage that falls between our life in this world and our final destination in heaven or hell. In the Bible, this intermediate period is called the place of the dead. In the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word sheol. And we actually had someone submit a question about this word sheol. And that's the answer. Sheol is the place of the dead. In the New Testament, it's the Greek word Hades. Now, everyone who dies goes to the place of the dead, um, but there are two very different environments uh, for those who get there. Uh, for those who die in Christ, there is a place called paradise. And this is not the same thing as heaven, but if you are in paradise, you are already with Jesus. And Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 16. It's, it's very detailed. It's about Hades and paradise. And in that story, we can see that the normal pattern is that people don't usually visit the place of the dead and then come back to tell us about it. Now, is it possible for that to happen? 
Sure, because God can do whatever he wants. Uh, but again, what is the normal pattern? Well, in Hebrews 9.27, we read that every person is destined to die once. And after that comes judgment. So what's the takeaway here? What's the bottom line? Well, whether or not you have a near-death experience, you do have an appointment with death. And in your individual situation, it doesn't really matter when the world ends. Uh, Whether or not we're all living in the end times, you are living in your end times. We're not promised tomorrow. You don't know how much time you have left. Your life may end this week, or it may end decades from now. But think about this from an eternal perspective. Compared to eternity, what's a few decades? It's just a blip, isn't it? That means right now, you and I are on the brink of forever. And we should take that very seriously. Remember Prince? He said he would spend his last days partying like it's 1999. And that song was probably tongue-in-cheek, but here's the reality. In April of 2016, Prince died. Somewhere right now, his soul still exists. And it's not my call to say where he is, but he's definitely somewhere. It's a sobering thought. And that takes us to the final question that we'll look at in this series. Someone asked, how do you deal with the death of a loved one who you aren't sure accepted Christ? And I'll admit, this is a tough one. It's really, really tough. This question comes from a place of deep grief. And I'd love to give some great comforting words here. Um, But I have to tell you the truth. Scripture gives us no hope and no confidence for those who die outside of Christ. At the same time, though, there are several things we can hold on to. First, God is far more loving and far more just than I am. Don't forget what we read earlier. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So hold on to that truth. God does not want anyone to perish. Uh, Whoever your loved one is, you can be confident that God loves that person even more than you do. Plus, at the end of the day, we don't know the whole story. I was thinking about the thief on the cross, the man who was crucified next to Jesus, You may remember that this thief had a brief conversation with Jesus. And at some point, he recognized who Jesus was, and he said, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And how did Jesus respond? He said, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And this is very cool, because in this case, we know exactly where that thief went. But... If you had been one of the disciples, you wouldn't have heard that conversation. Except for John. Out of the 12 disciples of Jesus, only John was near the cross when Jesus was crucified. So, 
If you were watching from a distance with the other disciples, you would have had no idea what Jesus said to this thief. And naturally, you probably would have assumed that the man was headed for hell. So again, we don't know the whole story. I'm not God. I'm not the judge. I heard a preacher named John Piper talking about what he does whenever someone asks about a loved one who died possibly apart from Christ. And John said he normally looks at Genesis 18.25. In that verse, Abraham is speaking to God himself, and he asks a rhetorical question. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Will not the judge of all the earth do right? He will. So we've got to leave it in the Lord's hands. And we have to remember that God is far more loving and far more just than we are. It's also good to remember what the Bible says about heaven. In Revelation chapter 21, the Apostle John tells us what God revealed to him. He said, I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. No matter what kind of grief you experience in this lifetime, this is what's coming. In heaven, God will wipe all of our tears away. But if you ask me, I don't think we'll be focusing on ourselves much at all because the focus will be on God. And this may seem strange to us right now, but I've said it many times. My life is not about me, and your life is not about you. We were all created to bring glory to God, and we will never be completely at peace until we are worshiping God in his presence. We'll be in a place where we are fully known and fully loved, and that will be great, but the focus will be on God Now, if that idea doesn't sound great at the moment, it's only because we don't understand what it'll be like to spend eternity with Jesus. Whether or not you realize it, that's what you've always wanted. In the meantime, though, we have the rest of this life still ahead of us. And whatever time God gives us here, we want to spend it well. So one last time, let's look at the bottom line. What should you be doing right now? Well, you should be ready for the return of Jesus and let God use you to help others be ready. Everyone spends eternity somewhere. And that's why we're so serious about our mission here at Plum Creek. We know that God has given us the mission of leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus because God loves everyone. He wants everyone to be with him forever. And we want that too. And that's why we celebrate every time we see someone put their faith in Jesus and be baptized into him. And as long as there's one more person who needs Jesus, we'll keep praying. 
We'll keep asking God to use us to point others to Jesus. There is an urgency to our mission because all of us are here for such a short time. The Bible says our lives are just a mist. Now, if you know me, you know that I don't like to use scare tactics because I know it's God's kindness. His loving kindness is what leads us to him. At the same time, though, we do need to talk about these things. We need to talk about what's real. We can't skip over the hard truth just because it makes us uncomfortable. This life is short and eternity is long. So let's live with the end in mind. Let's make the most of our brief time here on earth. And yeah, let's look forward to heaven and let's take along as many people as possible. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy to forget on any given day how little time we have here. But it's disappearing. Our days are numbered. You know how many we have. We don't know. So Lord, we don't want to we don't want to get distracted from the things we need to do in this life, but we also don't want to forget eternity. So help us to, to keep that in mind. Help us to not only be ready for the return of Jesus, but help others be ready as well. And I pray that you'll help us do these things in Jesus' name. Amen.